Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, and welcome to Outcasts. A brand new show with a down-under David Berry who joins us from the sunny climes of Sydney and a scenery-chewing Tim Downey who joins us from a motorhome somewhere on the M11. Every week, we shall be bringing you the finest that Outlander has to offer. We will take you behind the scenes, into the trailers, up the scaffolding and into the very beating heart of the best backstage tales from the people that continue to make Outlander the extraordinary show it is. So, let's begin our first show. We start with me and David about to leap into a favourite scene from season five. Enjoy. We are going to read a scene you will have seen uh, from the first episode, but was cut. But it's one of my favourites, and it is the first scene that John Gray and Tryon are seen, not in the same lens, but within the same sequence. You, There's probably a little bit of magic that you're thinking, there was something about that, about that <laughs> episode. And it's probably this scene that you're thinking of, um, because there were two, two very attractive men um, in tri-corner hats in, in this sequence. But uh, for us, it's scene eight. Uh, for you, it's somewhere after the after the wedding when you would have seen it. Uh, so I think we'll have, uh, Mr. David Berry, you may obviously play your uh, Mr. John Gray. I yeah. shall try on. And then we can kind of swap around. Brianna's going to be tricky, um, to okay. be honest. Who's um, going to take that? Uh, annoyingly, I think it's going to have to be me. I'm going to do a Brianna and a Roger. And a Roger, okay. uh, at the At the beginning. Yeah, right. Okay. And then I think they leave because then, then they're talking to you. And then I've got Jamie. Uh, you, then I'll do on. a little bit of Jamie. Got a little bit of Jamie, okay. then you. Yeah. And then we Next are going week. to hear your Jamie. Okay. Um, Jesus Christ. Which is very exciting. Right. It's, it's exciting. It's exciting. It's exciting. Okay, so uh, I'll, I'll begin. So this is uh, scene eight. Exterior, Fraser's Ridge, Big House Day, day one. Mm-hmm. Post-ceremony, Jamie and Claire and the newly official Mr. and Mrs. Roger McKenzie wait to receive congratulations from a long line of wedding guests, a custom of the time. The newlyweds stand together with Brianna flanked by her mother and Roger by his new father-in-law. John Gray is among uh, is among some of the first to approach. He bows. Most sincere congratulations to you all. Next, addressing Brianna, specifically, he jokes. I knew you'd make a fine wife one day. Couldn't have happened to a better man. Or could it? Brianna laughs, remembering their brief betrothal. You'll have to ask my husband. I think that was was pretty good. I'm not happy with that. From what I'm told, I've tried to lighten the Scottish there. From what I'm told, you might have been the one standing here. Let me say this. There was no one happier than I to hear of your safe return. John. 
That was Brianna. A wink? That was Brianna. Yeah, just John. John, just John. A wink, a bow. This isn't Brianna. This is just the stage direction. A wink, a bow, and then Lord John directs his attention to Jamie. Jamie immediately senses something is not quite right with his friend's anxious expression. John has some news, but it's not an appropriate time to share it. If you're worried, Brianna made the wrong choice, John. The time to speak up has passed. Lord John tries to shrug it off, sounding casual. Ah, yes. Lamenting the fact that it could have been me in Roger's shoes. But... There's something else I need to speak with you about. Perhaps later. But Jamie is not convinced. Whatever it will be, it'll have to wait. Go have a drink. I'll find you. Okay, and then now, me, I'll right. take over from here. It should... Okay, go for it. Yeah, go for okay. it. I'm, uh, uh, guests begin to queue, so John Gray moves on. Next in line is... Governor Tryon, I thought you deserved a fanfare there. I, th- I think so. No, I think it's, it's, it's nice. I think there should have been one in the, in the sea. I would just carry around, walk around with it. Uh, <clears throat> okay, find it, find it. Here I go. Okay, yeah. Billy, you Billy. My heartfelt congratulations. Nice. Thank you. The, the governor lingers, <laughs> of course, directing of course, his attention. Of course he does. <laughs> chiefly at Jamie as more guests approach to offer further congratulations to the bride and mother of the bride. Now we're going to okay. run into some trouble here because I'm, I'm going to be Jamie we, Fraser. We're going to have, this is, this is fabulous. I'm glad this is being recorded. Okay. Okay. I'm going to warn you. My uh, Scottish sounds a bit like Mrs. Doubtfire. So if Ms. Jamie sounds like Mrs. Doubtfire, I'm just going to jump I literally could not, I, I could not be more excited. <laughs> Let's, I'm just going to lean into it. Very Just kind of you, Your Excellency. See, my goodness me. Like my goodness me. <laughs> and you're going to stick with that. That's the I choice am. you've made, and you're yeah. going to stick with it. This is if Jamie okay. would pick that one. But if you can't, we were coming. We might have been a better prepared to accommodate you. Over... <laughs> <laughs> Offer you a chamber in the house. Oh, God, it's me. Right. <clears throat> your attentions are where they should be today on the occasion of your daughter's wedding. Had I made known my intention to attend, you would have spared no effort in seeing to my accommodations, no doubt, when, in fact, His Majesty has equipped me with pavilion tents to rival the best houses in the province. And with my house... I don't understand why that was cut down. I mean, that's got a lovely that description there of what... That was cut down. I think I, I think I, I, lit- I think I say um, your attentions are where they should be today on the occasion of your daughter's wedding. I, d- I mean, why would you not want to know about my tent? I just feel like it, it's a bit passive aggressive, you know. It's like yeah, but I, I think that's nice. I think Tryon would. I, I think he'd embrace that passive aggressiveness. So look at the size of my. Basically, say look at the size of my tent. You got a big house, yeah, but look at the size of my tent. Right, right. I mean, what right. man? What man has not said that in a field in Hampshire? <laughs> Look at the size of my tent, sir. <laughs> and just to be clear, we're, we're talking about the tents that were set up in in the, uh, you know, the surrounds. Yes. Not, yeah. Okay. Yes. Nothing else. Right. Nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else. Thank you. Nothing else. Right. Continue. I'm excited. Yes. Okay. Go. And with my house unfinished, I'm relieved to hear it. Hear it outside. The country air is refreshing, I must say. A ceremony fit for a knight or a prince of the days of yore. It's quite quite charming. Mm. I expect you'll be planning a fine hunt celebration. The groom is not much for hunting, 
He sings like a bird, but not one for shooting them. Tryon eyes Roger with a bit of uncertainty. Then, I have a man with me. One Lieutenant Knox. Well, you know, a platoon, to be precise. I hope you don't mind. Jamie pushes aside the nervous feeling at the pit of his stomach. I hope the men will enjoy themselves. Oh, it's business that brings them here, not pleasure, unfortunately. I want to try for a Shrek now. To the Blackberry Ooh, country, you mean? Where else? Goodness me, I mean... I think uh, you I said, said like I said, Birmingham. I, I said Blackberry, and I really wanted to say back country. You, Hold on. Take take two. You did. We'll go again on that. We'll go again. Yeah. To the back country, you mean? Country. I, d- I, can't, I want to say it's better. <laughs> I really want to say it's better. <laughs> right. Let me, let me really try, not sure. try again. To the back country, Fiona, you mean? Better? Donkey? Nothing. Okay, now you've added the word Fiona in because you do actually feel that you are in Shrek. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or is that the word that you use to get into it? <laughs> Fiona. 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 Well, they, they say that with they say that with a Newcastle accent. If you All ever right. wanted to do a Newcastle accent, I'm not saying you ever will, but if you ever did, you would uh-huh. say Kawasaki. You know the motorbike? That's the that's your that's your word to get into the accent. Into Kawasaki. The accent. Or that race work. baby. Oh, or just off. like when you're trying to do Jamaican and then like you do beer can. You yeah. never no? Or yeah, no. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. But then you've got to be careful. That doesn't drift into something else. We've all been there. We <laughs> kind of start off with one accent and go, I'm, I don't know what, how, how I ended up here. Suddenly, yeah. Suddenly I'm doing South African. Yeah, exactly. And this is not going to go down well in, the, in this <laughs> bitingly satirical piece set in Wales. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not going to win. Not going to win well. But let's find out what Governor Tryon's up to, okay, shall okay. we? Back at it. So, back at it. Where else? Obviously relating back to the back country where mm. else all manner of things can grow out of fallow soil as you've intimated in your letters and there's certainly an abundance of that out here enough to keep a good number of men busy including myself Tryon pauses for a moment allowing the words to hang heavy in the air just allowing that pause just so we know just okay. so you get the, the sense of weight but I ask you that was He's good. The man who delays. Thank you. You see, I just, I think, you know, it does add. You're, you're pensive. And you needed He's that in the script to tell you that. You, you, you did. Yeah. You did. Because I would have, I'm, I'm a gambler. I would have, I would have rushed you're through this. I mean, this would have been, I would have been back in the car and back to the hotel by now. <laughs> um, so you do need a point just to say, just slow it down there. Yeah. All right, Frankie, slow down. Mm-hmm. Give it a bit of, give it a bit of air. They almost wrote Tim. Tim pauses for a moment because they know it's mm-hmm. not. It's it's a habit of yours. Tim pauses yeah, for a moment. Exactly. Tim pauses for a moment. But I ask you. See, I'm back on. See, I'm back on again. Almost. There's no. There's no air in it. No. But I ask you: Is the man who delays paying his landlord more or less of a thief than the letter writer who is parsimonious with his words? It's a big word, parsimonious. Yeah. And I actually found myself giving a little wry smile. You couldn't sense it, but it was a little little wry smile. Just on that, having think- revisited this again. It was mm. like, oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a uh, he's game playing here. You know, it's fun toying with him. Little little cat and mouse game. Oh, look, try on, love look, it. Look at this. You're here in the big print. A passive aggressive accusation. If ever there was one, see, that's what you mm. are. Mm. A little passive aggressive yeah. little man. 
He is incredibly passive aggressive. <laughs> incredibly <laughs> passive aggressive. But the only problem with someone who is incredibly passive aggressive is when they have an enormous amount of power and just a very <laughs> slight, sort of slight irritation will then run into the fact of you killing your entire family and burning your village to the ground. That, yeah, that's, moving that's, on that's swiftly. Passive aggressive. That's that's. I, I was thinking maybe I'd, I'd make him Russian for a minute. Um, okay. When I write your excellency. I aim to provide. Maybe you should think Russian more often because yeah. that sounds a better Scottish. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Oh, it's, it's actually very good. Maybe that's your end. Scottish, right. Uh, Russian. When, when I write, Your Excellency, I'm, I'm, I'm aiming for a hybrid now. I aim it's to good. provide simple facts. Of course you do, and they are encouraging. But I do feel myself robbed of the satisfaction of seeing a particular story brought to its conclusion your dispatches have kept me enthralled these past months, but too many twists and turns of plot for my taste. I like to see a villain get his comeuppance. But that's for another time. I hold out the cue. Tryon has said his piece. He moves on. There you and, go. Um, and there you go. And that's then the, the scene. That's basically the scene. That is basically the scene. And that little last little bit was, yeah, was kind of cut into. But... Mm. That, I think that was one of my very first scenes for this new season, actually. I'm just thinking back to see if it was, but I think I think it was, which was a very nice day, apart from when the midges came out, because we were down by the river, because one of the right. big houses is by, mm-hmm. it's by that kind of beautiful, I mean, it's, it's beautiful, but as soon as the sun starts going down at that sort of time of year and the rains, then uh, the midges come out and they really get under the wig and into the shoes. And that really puts the puts a dampener on uh, what is essentially, a, you know, a lovely day at a lovely wedding. I need, we need to hold the phone for a minute. You need to explain to people who aren't from the UK what midges are. Because when I got there, I had no idea what people were, were, were talking about. What is a midge? Or a, midge. Midge. A, midge is, a midge is kind of, how can you describe it? It's, it's an irritant. It's not, I suppose it's most closely related to say something like a mosquito, but without the kind of, agony or malaria that's involved with a mosquito but they're kind of little bitey things then they live in uh damp areas and mainly in sort of very forested woodland areas and as soon as it becomes the summer in scotland and because it's also very damp um they are just to be seen in their just billions and billions and billions and they are everywhere and they just get kind of very you know, they bite a little, but nothing bad. But there's just the sheer volume of them. And they just irritate and they get everywhere. And they swarm in little clouds. They are a real nuisance. So mm-hmm. I don't know what the equivalent would be elsewhere. I mean, obviously, in Australia, where my, where, where my colleague is here, every other thing kills you. So it's hard to describe something that's just a mild irritant <laughs> to an Australian as they don't get the concept. It's either passive or incredibly right. aggressive and will drag you under the ocean <laughs> and it will let you rot. And that's just, you know, cats I think, I think in you're Australia. Right. <laughs> it's cats. I think you're right because I'm still I'm still wondering if I ever if I ever encountered a, a midge. Because I remember people talking about them and I'm like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I'm not even sure if I've been bitten by one. Um, because when you're bitten by something here, you know. You know. Because you're either dead or exactly. you're... you're, you're you got a massive welt on your arm or your leg or wherever they decided yeah. to bite you. But I, in saying that, I did. I got a tick. I got a tick when I was there. We don't have that. That is very. That could be very serious. Getting a tick, right? 
Right. And yeah. and I do live in Australia, um, as you say, where there's many things that can potentially kill you, but I've never been in a situation where I've felt like, oh, I've had something really serious happen to me, other than when I was in uh, Glasgow filming Outland and been bitten by a tick. And I remember yeah. I had to go to the doctor and, and then they were like, well, you, you could have Lyme disease. And um, yeah. and uh, I had to uh, get on the course of antibiotics and, um, and then come home and tell everyone in Australia that <laughs> I went to Scotland and got bitten by a tick. <laughs> <laughs> and the last thing you were going to think, well, I'm going, I'm, I'm going to Scotland. Literally nothing in the animal world is going to hurt me as much as what grows and lives and crawls and scurries back home. I'm a hot in Australia. But sure enough, there we go. So tell me, how much of this was cut from your actual... That is good. That is a very good question. I think the beginning was, it was was pretty similar. I think they just kind of cut down a little bit of the first speech. Your attentions are where they should be on the occasion of your daughter's wedding. And I think they cut the next bit... I think also because at the very end, I'm, it, it says about uh, trial and studies PC moves on and also I say I'm holding up the queue. And I think they also thought this is such a long conversation and quite a private conversation that it would not necessarily be a conversation you would have in the queue for a wedding. No matter how arrogant Tryon thinks he is, I think he would probably think this is a bit, this is a bit much. It's stepping, it's stepping over. So they cut it down, which I, you know, I think is the right thing to do. I'm glad you've come to that. I'm glad you've come to that. I'm glad you've come to that conclusion. I think. I think as actors, yeah. we always, when we see an edit back, we we do a sort of post mortem of, oh, why was that in the cut? Why wasn't that in the cut? Why did I get that coverage? And inevitably, it goes yeah. through us our, our filter of insecurities and all that kind of thing. And we try to appraise what was it about that? What was it? Was it me? Was it the the story? Why didn't I make the cut? But of course, of course, we all think that we deserve every single second of screen time that that um, we have. Yeah, of course, of course. You know, you're invest, you're invested in it. You learn it, you craft it, you kind of go over it. It takes time for it to go in. Like with me, with learning lines. Now, I don't know how you are with learning lines, Terrible. but I, I, I like to kind of give it a good probably three days four days before Mm -hmm. even longer at times Mm -hmm. and it makes me more relaxed if i start learning a script a week ahead i can just kind of drift in drift out and it will gradually go in so by the time i hit the day of filming it's there very comfortably and there's no panic but if i'm given something very late very late then i panic and it takes a it takes longer to go in it takes more kind of massaging of the gray matter to really get the words in. So with something like this, this took, you know, three or four days. Now the difficulty comes is when you start edit when they start editing once you've learned once you've learned it. Because you learn because I learned patterns. So in other words, you'll kind of go, if you take the first bit here where I say outside in the country are refreshing, I must say, a ceremony fit for a night or a prince of the days of yore. So you kind of think, okay, well, I'm outside. So I've got the image of being outside, and then a ceremony for a night, knights are outside, prince of the days of yore. Quite charming. And then it feeds in very nicely about saying, planning a fine hunt. So basically, that whole thing is about being outside. So when you start chopping and changing it and moving it around, you break those those tendrils of pattern 
which can then make relearning it tricky because I've got the kind of picture in my head that, oh, this is the, this is the bit now, which is, which is all outside. This is a bit where I talk about hunting and a bit where I talk about knights and princes. True, true. Uh, um, and I, I feel like, um, they do this a lot on Outlander. You get, you'll learn it. You'll, you'll, you'll learn it maybe with a, if you're lucky, a week in advance. Um, and then you'll get rewrites like the, the night before. And it just messes up with your whole, like you're saying, the way that you remember lines through imagery or whatever. It just, it, it really kind of reconfigures everything and, and throws a spanner in the works. Um, and that, that makes it, I don't know, it just trips you up when you, you just want to be in a flow. But I remember one looking at you one time. This is actually the first time we we met, I think, on 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 set. Is that true? I think, yes, I think do you know what I think it is. I think our paths crossed on season four, but we never did anything. I think we were in a read through together or something like that, but we never did anything. And that was about as far as it went. But this was mm. I think the first time that we were actually kind of Oh right, we're kind of as it all you know we're doing a scene together. Oh, okay, well let's 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 do that. But yeah, I think this is the first time. And I remember, um, I remember watching you just before your take, and being quite interested in 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 how you were. About, uh, what, what, what I always get interested in what actors are like just before they're about to do their work. And I remember seeing you sort of going through the lines and and pacing and. Is this almost as if you were in complete rehearsal for how the scene was going to play out? Mm. It, it, do you want to tell me what was going through? You? Am, I, am I right? Were you actually like, yeah? Was, so you, this is what you do. You, you, you talk through the scene out loud, um, and then you, yeah, I'll talk through the scene out loud. I'll keep, I'll keep playing it and playing it and playing it, and kind of edit, edit as I go. Mm-hmm. So I will kind of think, oh, okay, so. I don't know, let's pick something here. So if I had the, you know, doing the line, uh, oh, it's business that brings him here, not pleasure, unfortunately. So with that line, you kind of think, okay, so it's it's business that where's the stress? So you kind of be playing the line out to go, oh, it's business that bring brings them here, not pleasure. So is it not pleasure, unfortunately? Do you want to hit that is the point of that line? Is it pleasure or is it, un- okay. So then I'll rework it and go back and go back and go back and just kind of basically find what I think of the many variants. Okay, that's the salient point that I'm trying to get across with with that point. And then you'll move on to the to the next bit and just try and make it flow in as easy a way possible. But also taking into account that in this case Sam will play it in the way that he plays it and you have to react to that as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um I can remember seeing and there's, and there's, uh, do you understand what I'm about to say? Is I am no, in no way comparing myself to Philip Seymour Hoffman. Absolutely no way. Our names are now going to be said next to each other, but there is absolutely no comparison. Uh-huh. There's a scene of Philip Seymour Hoffman in uh, uh, in Moneyball, mm-hmm. and he is coming out of the uh, of the dugout, and he and he's literally he picks up a ball and he says one line, and then he throws throws the ball, and there's a great shot of him just before the take and he's doing exactly that he's literally walking backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards picking up the ball throwing it and then walking back sitting down doing it again doing it again and he must do it about about eight nine times before they actually do the take just because it's the it's that mechanic of working it out and it not being i suppose fearful 
like you'll suddenly do something because any kind of difference you'll kind of go oh okay well the ball might do this or it might do that and it doesn't throw you as in real life it wouldn't throw you if a ball was just thrown to you and it didn't land where it was supposed to land you would accommodate it you're just going to pick it up and throw it um mm-hmm. but sometimes with acting it can throw if your mind isn't quite on it isn't quite around it so yeah he would just rehearse and rehearse and rehearse so i'm not comparing myself to philip seymour Hoffman, but we had the similar uh methodology of working which was that uh, to play through and play through and and play around with it and just see as many different connotations that could possibly come out of something and then finding the one that you think, yeah, that's the one, that's the one that tells the story the best. Interesting. So my response to that, I'm wondering, do you find that that inhibits anyway your capacity for novelty in a scene, for improvisation? If you've, if you've rehearsed it so much, do you find that uh, you're you're stuck in 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 a groove or a habit of what what you're trying to do, or is it something else entirely? You're so in the groove of it that you feel free to improvise in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I find the most comfortable I am is when I don't have to think about the line. The line just kind of almost says itself because you've you've gone through so many connotations of what it could possibly be that you're sitting on the one that it is, and you kind of go, "Well, that's." that's a great way that's that tells the story the best best way and then you don't think about it the moment i find myself thinking about the line is the moment i kind of pop out of character and it's usually the moment i will then forget the line is mm-hmm. when i'm actively trying to think for it and not just allowing it or allowing what the person has said to kick start what that line is that you have because mm-hmm. you know conversation will naturally flow that there'll be something within the what the other person has said that will then in then instruct the way that you respond so yes so basically i try to rehearse it so much that you then don't need to think about the line you just the line plays itself so yeah it does it, it definitely frees yourself up for improvisation when it's needed i mean i'll always throw something in somewhere if i'm if i'm allowed to and not told what are you doing don't do that again really? what's um, the uh, what's, what's the thing that? that you've um thrown in that someone's kept has it happened in outland i don't know if it's happened in outland there's been there's definitely been outtakes that i thought they'll never they'll never leave that in and they have there's a couple of things in some movies that i did well, it feels like I'm just throwing names in. When I did a movie with Brad Pitt, um, we did <laughs> just throwing that in, just throwing that in casual life. I would, I would. Um, we we played, we played this this scene. This is War Machine. That was fine, yeah. and they and they got this is War Machine. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we played the scene as as is, and then uh, Brad just said, "Okay, well then we're just gonna we're just gonna improvise this little section because the guy is gonna walk into the, this poppy field." Um, and he's a general. I'm playing a kind of Washington pen pusher in an Afghan poppy field because they because the Afghans are growing poppy poppies and opium, and they should. And we are trying. Or the Americans are trying to make them grow cotton, but um, through lots of trade difficulties, it means they would earn no money. So it's much more profitable to grow opium. So then we did a basically like a kind of impro about that which was very very strange but then that was kept in because there were certain moments where i was thinking i have no idea what you're doing i have no idea what i am doing but actually that worked very well for the scene because we're supposed to both of us not really know what's going on but yeah so that's been that's been kept but i don't think anything's been kept um in outlander maybe a double take 
I do like a double take. I think I may, I think there may be one in episode four. I'd have to look back, but I think I did do a double take when I'm signing, <laughs> signing the land over to Jamie. I think I did a double take in the corner, in the corner of a room. I don't know why, but I think I do. Double takes is something you definitely have to rehearse. Funnily enough, they're very difficult to pull off, like with precision. Um, yeah. I find <laughs> they're actually really. Uh, you, sometimes you just do them instinctively, and they're great. Yeah, but the, the ones that are really funny are the ones that you've rehearsed and have precision. Yeah. Um, and are, absolutely, um, absolutely. Yeah. It's like a ballet. It is. It needs some choreography, and I definitely had to. I had to practice my double take. We had to learn how to do a double take in drama school. And for those yeah. really well anointed with the double take, you you could then graduate to the triple take, and then some would oh. uh, would uh, would attempt the quadruple take, and then oh, that's, for the, that's, that's heady. Yeah, then dark arts, uh, the the you know quintuple take, and and any permutation after that, I, it probably just nice. gets more hilarious. Have uh, have you managed to get a double take yet in in Outlander? It's a good question. I uh, I, I don't. I think I have. I think I have. I, I think I did it at at the um, at the uh, Governor's Ball, which is also incidentally where I did improvise some stuff. And um, mm-hmm. oh, I was I was just kind of forced to improvise because typically I hate I hate to improvise. I don't feel confident always mm. in, in making those choices. Um, I feel like, uh, I was never good at improv. Give me, give me a script and something to think about. I'm happy to do it. Um, but I typically, I, particularly with Lord John, he's, I mean, he's not in my natural voice. He's, he's an 18th century character. He's, it, it just requires a level of, um, skill and, and practice that because you could easily veer into something modern or Australian or who knows. So mm. you have to be really embedded in the character. Um, but for whatever reason, I guess they liked it. So I think it was the, in, in the thing where, um, if we recall back, if I can recall back, Governor's Ball where uh, there's a palm reading or a, a, a uh, some kind of fortune telling and then Lord John says, I, I think I made up the line of something like, isn't that, I said something very quaint in English. Um which <laughs> kind of sums up my character. <laughs> you see, what the funny thing about Lord John is, um, I'm well, as we know, I'm not English, and so my whole idea of the character is sort of mediated through my um, experience of English actors and, and that I've seen mm. on film and television, and I hadn't spent any time in in the UK, so every time that I'm donning the Lord John character, I just feel I have a huge imposter syndrome because I'm thinking you are no. not English. You're in the UK. <laughs> People are going to find you out that you're just an Australian at any point. And, um, and, my, and I'm just doing my impression of an Englishman, much like my impression of mm. a, uh, <laughs> a Scot or a, a Russian person, a Russian, um, just a whole lot better for whatever reason. <laughs> Yeah, strange that. I don't know why, but yeah, definitely. Next time you're asked to do it, think a Russian, and it comes out really very well in Scottish. But I, th- but I think with you playing a Brit, with you playing an Englishman, is is much like they said or they say about writers who write in English who are foreign. Like they said about um, people like 
Kasuishi Guru, who is a Japanese writer, but writes about the about being very English. He wrote a book called The Remains of the Day, which is about very much about English being very uppity. It's all set in a uh, the, you know the world of butlering and a kind of high society in the I think it's in the forties, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but it adds a freshness to it because you are an outsider and you have an outsider's eye that can kind of look upon things that when you're in it, it's harder to see. So I think your Lord John Gray has a real freshness and a vitality to it because you are not English. And I think it would be a very different beast because you wouldn't have you wouldn't have our usual British cynicism, which would definitely colour things. But I think it adds a really a real bounce and a freshness to the performance is uh, is that very aspect about the fact that you are not English. Well, it could it could go either one of one of two ways, couldn't it? It could have that, and it can also end up in horrible cliche. Um, and uh, when it works, hopefully it has that freshness. And when it doesn't, um, it can just come off as a parody of you know someone from the from from England, um, which I, which is certainly what I don't <laughs> want to do. Um, yeah. but, I mean, those uh, first scenes of you never leaving set without a cup of tea in a, in the saucer, <laughs> I did think was pushing it a bit, but very cleverly you cut that out, and I think it's I think you've only gotten better because of that. To be honest, I really I really, I really do. Yeah, and you know, if you're in a play in Australia, that I think you know your ideas of getting the cork hat and uh, the uh, the big knife and the vest would probably be yeah. pushing it too far. But you'd eventually come around to something, you know, with a bit more subtlety and, and nuance, and um, you know, we fix it. Yeah, I think there's a role in there for you somewhere. You just have to work on your Australian accent, which is probably not much better than than my Russian Scottish accent. It's this is true. Maybe I should think Russian. And then I will actually come out with a much Australian. better uh, Australian accent. Maybe, yeah. maybe that's just like wow. I should th- I should always think this, and then this will happen. It's, it's that it's that uh, it's that Rosetta Stone, Pandora's. I don't know whatever it is. It's a key yeah. to unlocking any accent. Is is just go via Russia somehow? We end exactly. up exactly think accent. of something else <laughs> and then do that, and then by proxy you will get there. So I think that's the secret. Um, I was going to say. Uh, take me through, if you can remember, um, you're more like, how, before you're coming on set, what, what are you doing? Are you waking what up? What am I doing before? You're waking up, you're making uh, some breakfast. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah, waking up, I'm thinking, uh, I'll have, I'll have breakfast usually. If, if it's, if it's early, then it's breakfast on set. If not, I will go to the hotel, uh, and have a little, uh, little breakfast there. What do you then, well, what's, what's well you because because I'm away, I often work. It's that thing of um, uh, when you're away, then it doesn't really count. So I will usually go for a full English, uh, whether I want it or not. Just for the fact of going, well, I don't. You, I don't. Yeah, you know, when at home, I wouldn't. I wouldn't cook it for myself. I would right. not ever do that. So when I'm away, you kind you, of wait, think, a treat. Are you kidding me? You're an Englishman and you don't have a full English breakfast yeah. every morning. Not, not every, not every one. I know it's hard to believe. Okay, I don't wear a bowler hat with it. That's I, another, I know. I know. That's I another know. cliche. I have to smashing, you know, revise, smashing stereotypes. <laughs> you know, I put yeah. my umbrella down and uh, apologize to everyone. This is great. I'm doing. Um, I'm, I'm accomplishing two goals here. I'm doing a lot of character research whilst learning a lot about you, Tim. There you go. There you go. I'm just a walking stereotype um, of, of an Englishman. Um, 
so yes, and then so we picked up, taken a set, and then uh, I do. I really do enjoy the process of getting into costume because then I feel that you're kind of putting on the character, especially when something that's a period piece, as it is just it is just nothing that you would that you would wear. And there are so many layers. I think you could definitely feel that uh, that anguish of there are so many layers and there are so many buttons and there are so many little things that have to be tied together and so many bits that kind of have to be pulled on and jackets and overcoats and waistcoats and stocks and all those little accoutrements that kind of go with it. Um, have, you ever, um, we- have you ever thought about uh, you know, leaving set in your costume, walking the streets? All the time. And if, all the time. I would love to do that. I remember doing when I did Upstart Crow, which was a, uh, a comedy about Shakespeare mm-hmm. that I did um, in the UK. And I had very beautiful i looked a bit like barry gibb i will i will be honest with you <laughs> uh i really with this kind of mane this beautiful sort of mane shoulder length very thick it was wonderful hair and there would always be a break when we were filming because we filmed it kind of as live uh where you would finish rehearsals you would get hair and makeup and then there would be a big old gap before audience came in it was in front of a live studio audience before the audience would come in and you would then put the rest of your costume on and, and off you go and usually the canteen food was terrible. So you would usually have to go out onto the South Bank and there'd be food trucks and things like that sort of lining lining the place. So I would go out with this with this wig on and it was glorious. I remember standing by the Thames in the breeze <laughs> and just feeling, you know, much like that scene in Titanic with uh <laughs> with DiCaprio Winslet right on the right on the on the prow of that boat, just with the wind whistling through my hair, going, This is fabulous. And people you know, holding doors open for me. People would, you know, apologize if they push their child in front of me or so. It was amazing what a huge head of hair will do. But to answer the question, I would I would adore just to walk around like that, but not comment on it. Just walk around like so this you, is just your daily stuff. Just for, so just for giggles, you wouldn't do it to get into character, for instance? Absolutely not. I don't think there's no. any way you could walk around Glasgow City Centre dressed <laughs> In a tricorn hat and a red coat, and uh, just go about your daily business, and yeah. no one, yeah, just no one about an eyelid. Go, hey, he's all right, he is. You know, you know that there, kind of thing. I think it's a bit of a stir. There have been actors that do that, you know, not not that specifically, but oh, you hear, you always hear, you know, there's there's uh, tales about um, actors who get really into method, like uh, you know Daniel Day Lewis, who who apparently just <laughs> lived as like a what is it? One of the, a Mohican for the length of his shooting um, schedule for um, the last Mohicans, or um, I heard yeah. Viggo yeah. Mortensen just um, would sleep in his costume and sleep in like haystacks and stuff just to get rid with his horse. Actually, I think Billy Boyd was telling me that. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. To get into character, he. Well, I think he came to the project quite late, and then um, is according to Billy, is a secondhand tale. Um, and he would uh, he he would sleep in costume and with his horses um, just to really feel it. And, and when I hear those stories, I think, wow, I really have a failure of commitment to my craft. Uh, and I'm thinking maybe yeah. I should go around Glasgow dressed as Lord John Gray. And how would that just change see, my performance? I think it would add a great <laughs> deal of urgency. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, I think there'd be a real... You'd certainly have picked up the pace. I can certainly, I can certainly tell you that. 
That's extraordinary, though. No, I feel at times, yes, I really feel that I should, yes, I will go out into the wild and live live in the wild, in the trees for this for this part that I am doing because my character would do this. And then there's the other aspect that says, yes, but there's a gym at the hotel and mm. they have a very nice bar and they've got a lovely, I've just seen, they, they have some, you know, lovely steak on. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll have that. And yeah, that, that, uh, that concerns me for uh, later on in my career. <laughs> you kind of think, maybe it should be a bit more, a bit uh, more committed. <laughs> yeah. I remember, um, I, I did a, a project with a, um, a director, um, about the, the Vietnam war. And, um, as it was just, it was a very small shoot. We had to, I think I was only on it for like one or two days. But the preparation time that the director wanted, he, he required us to do like a, a full on full week boot camp, um, military boot camp, and which involved sleeping outdoors in in um, in some paddock out in Camden, um, in a in a sleeping bag, in, in a sort of like and and just living what it was like to be a soldier. And here's me thinking like, okay, do I really, I'm talking to my agent, do I really need to do this? Can't I just rock up on set, do the scene, you know, have my coffee, get, yeah. get back home, you know, I'll act all this. Um, yeah. And it's sometimes you have to think like what, what does this actually contribute to um, my work? Um, but in saying that, we digress. We digress. You, you. You get there, you put your costume on, you feel the character in your trailer. Um, yeah. And, and then you, you, what, presumably called to set? Are you yeah. running lines? What, what are you doing? Uh, I will try not to look at lines because then I'll just, uh, I'll just panic. So I usually read. Okay. I know a lot of actors, which I can never do. I've seen so many actors that kind of go, oh, I'll have a sleep. Um, how long have we got? Got about an hour. I'll have a sleep. And I could never, ever do that because it would just put me, because if I fell asleep and then someone said, quick, you're on set, I would literally be in bits. I would, be, would just wouldn't even know who I was, I agree. let alone then suddenly have to kind of go, oh my God, oh my God, okay, there's people and there's things and okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. So I will read, I will sit and I will read, um, Drink a vast amount of coffee, probably. Um, and are we talking yeah, to people? Just kind of are, we, are we keeping it in our own space? Sometimes. Well, depend, you know what? It depends who's around because you're kind of brought on. And if there's a scene that's, as you well know, you know, if there's a scene that's before yours that everyone's in, you could be sort of sat around on your own waiting. But there's always that secret art of the actor is going on like a low light. You're going on low energy because you know. That if you're kind of, you know, laughing and joking, having a lovely time at like eight o'clock in the morning, your scene might not be done until after lunch. And if that's the case, then you are shattered and you have nothing to give. And it's a real kind of, oh, I really pull this thing together. Yeah. We just got to keep on just a nice level plane, gentle light throughout that time that you're not on. And then raise your game up to performance level when yeah. it actually is the time, the time to shine. But it's it's a skill. It's a skill that took me a long, a long time to learn just through being so eager. It's kind of like, oh, right, okay, okay, okay. You know, it's exciting. We're on set. This is brilliant. This is, it's all happening. But just kind of, no, you know, takes a, a wiser head just to go, no, 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 you know, just nice and calm, nice and relaxed. Plenty of time for that. Slow and steady. So that's what. I think, 
I think yeah. that's one of the things I learned too. I think one of the things that you you just you can't experience. You say wiser head. I think it's an experienced head. You you get yeah. you yeah. think it, you or when you're acting, you, you you think like you have you act on impulse, you act through inspiration and whatever, and you feel the character. You get to set. You have all this preamble you've had your breakfast you put the the uh costume on you've got everything and you're ready to go and then you said you're told to wait and you never know how long you're told to wait it could be hours it could be minutes but you have to be ready to just go like a spring um and it's i think that's one of the biggest challenges of working on tv and working as an actor in general in, in any film or television medium is knowing how to pace yourself and knowing how to be ready when the moment arrives. And sometimes you you are ready and sometimes you're not. And how you manage your energy through the day is probably the one of the biggest components of the success of fa- for failure of your performance, um, however that is. Um, and and I, I completely agree. So, and, and talking to people, sometimes can drain you of that energy but also yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes you need that energy from other people to like get you warmed up and get you feeling like you're part of the human race and mm. you know ready to you know do whatever your thing is but i think with a character yeah. like try on what he's i mean he's he's someone who likes to talk isn't he he's someone who um yeah, he is, but also within his sort of hierarchy of things, you know, he's the the gov- you know the governor of a province, so probably the people that be around him will be p- probably yes men. I don't think he would be the type of person to just go out and kind of just have a laugh with the boys in the camp. Gotcha. I think he would lit- he would be very unpopular, and people would not want that. So it's a different again, it's a different mindset. So you kind of think, okay, well then. You know, he's in a, he probably lives in a quieter world, but one that has pres- different pressures. So it, it's sort of balancing, okay, all right, he's got to have energy and he's got to have drive and all of the things that kind of make a scene interesting. But it's a different type of energy than, uh, say, someone like, you know, Jamie Fraser has a different drive and energy and requires <laughs> different things to get to that point. That's the same as... as um, as you know, as your character, as John Gray does, and also you know those types of energies give the scene its vitality. You know, mm. if you're coming in at a different energy level, as is as am I, as is uh, you know Jamie or Claire or whoever that is in the scene, it, it then gives the scene drive and thrust because you're all after different things, and that's what I think is is uh, is impo- is important and difficult to find when you're in a big, big, long day and then you're mm-hmm. kind of coming in to give a certain scene at a certain point um so then it's tricky of, but then that's the art that's the art of the actor isn't it of, of mm-hmm. right now's the time and now you turn it on so you're sort of mediating your social interactions through the filter of, of tryon is that right do you think yeah because i will kind of selfishly think what does what do what do i need to get through this day you know once the day's finished then i'm back to being tim again Mm-hmm. But up until, you know, the, the work is the important thing. The scene is the important thing. That's why you're there. That's the reason you're kind of in that costume and in that place with those stories and words in your head at that time. Mm-hmm. And so that's the, you know, that's the all important thing. So I always try and just, you know, treat 
treat the character as preciously as possible to give it exactly what it needs to succeed within a given a given moment and a given and a given scene and mm-hmm. if that means kind of taking yourself away from a group for a while or deliberately kind of going into a group then you know that's what that's what you need i think yeah. i think that's you know important i'd have to agree with that i, I think you know sometimes you come into a scene and, and you know that this okay this is a scene where i need this kind of energy i need to be social i need to do whatever and then there are other times when you have you know big dramatic scene and you know your character's feeling a particular way and you don't you want to keep a certain integrity to how that character's feeling in that moment and as we as we said you know just turning it on and off is is probably one of the biggest challenges so unless you're an expert at just really switching from elation to grief to whatever in 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 just um you know this click of a finger um i think a lot of us actors are me in particular i need to somewhat carry around a, a uh, an idea of an emotion or, ra- or gradually crescendo into emotion or whatever um as the day um you know prescribes or the scene prescribes um mm-hmm. but this this scene i think what you, you we had a good chat we uh you were um I could tell that you were you you were um, trying to focus on your thing, and I was trying to distract you as much as I possibly could. <laughs> Not true. I wasn't trying to sabotage you at all. Although that might be something that Lord John Gray would no. do. Um, but uh, yeah, I think he would. And Tryon would have paid short shrift to that. Goodness me! Yeah, no, thank you. So you to go and have a biscuit now. <laughs> <laughs> so you filmed the scene, and and what what were your thoughts after f- finishing the scene? Were you happy with how it turned out? What what were your expectations um, coming into the scene, and what did you come out with um, after you uh, filmed it? I I really, do you know, what? I actually really enjoyed doing it. There was kind of a lot of technical stuff at the very beginning because we're all kind of shaking hands and moving on, and then there's that kind of section where I take take it uh jamie off and then we have a nice chat um which is then that kind of that that core of that scene but i thought it was good i thought it was really nice and playful um with a little bit of kind of dread there was hopefully you know undertones to it um foreshadowing if you will of things potentially to come where's this gonna go where's this gonna end um so I was, uh, yeah, I was very pleased with that. But it is one of those, one of those things because what we did is we walk, we kind of walk off, and at the time the camera was in front, um, panning back with us in a in a two shot, and then we say goodbye, and Jamie walks back to the group, and I think the, then the last little part of that scene is with um, the bugs. I think I think they come over and say and say something, but because then I'm left and the camera drifts past you, you realise that you are just standing in the trees. And you're going, right. Um, uh, so try on, I think if you, if you what, he, he just kind of walks around the back of the house like he's just going to go for a wander and just have a look at things. <laughs> just, I'll just go and have a look. I'll have a look over here and just see. And I can remember just walking past people thinking, well, I think Tryon would nod, but look disapprovingly at, at the drunken revelers of this party. So, so I did that. And what was quite nice is some, was some of the supporting artists would, would say, uh, my lud, 
to me, which I thought <laughs> that's nice. That's a nice. That's a nice touch. They won't get that on screen, but it's 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 happening right now, which was which was great, which is very no, nice. I, I, and, I I had a, and I had a little coffee around the other side, so I was pleased with that. <laughs> Oh, good. I think that's one of the things with supporting artists. You, you, you almost feel like telling them, you know, none of none of this is going to be on camera. But they, of course, like, why? What does that matter? They're not there for that. They're there because they love playing. And, and you think, wow, what a horrible actor you are. You're only turning it on when you're on when the camera's actually looking at yeah, you. That's true. Um, that's true. But they're, well, they're committed. Although I've. They are, you know, and, and more power to it. Although I have come across the uh, supporting artist that can take it a little bit, a little bit too far. I was doing a scene once, uh, many, many, many years ago, and it was a scene where I mean, the the, the story is ridiculous. I was at a like a New Year's, uh, you know, year two thousand kind of thing party, and uh, a wall falls on me. It's it's not high drama. Please don't go looking for it. So there's a party sequence. A wall falls on me. It's havoc. It's New Year's Day. Millennium bug. All that stuff. And uh, the ambulance arrives, and they're pulling they're pulling bricks off me. I'm I'm in agony. You know, I'm giving it both barrels. Oh, I can't can't move. They put a they put a neck brace on me, and they put me <laughs> on a on a stretcher. You know, ah, is anything broken? I don't know. Ah, lifting onto the stretcher, and then the guy who was playing one of the paramedics um, is supposed to say. Or, or the doctor looks at him and says, "Give him the the the, the painkiller injection, something like that." So, and he had a syringe, and he takes the top off the syringe, rolls my sleeve up, and no. considering when well, you know this is covered in brick dust, and it, it's horrendous, and he just sticks it in my arm, just the top of it, and no. I went, "What? <laughs> what the? What the fuck?" What are you doing? He said, "Oh, I'll, uh, I just, I just thought I'd give you, give you a little bit of an edge. I thought it might help you along." He's like, "I don't worry about that. I'll, I will, I will play the act. I will play that much like, much like wow. Olivia to offer going. Honestly, I'll, I'll play the fact that you've just injected me. You don't actually have to stick a needle in me to prompt me." to play the fact that you've just stuck a needle in me. So that is oh when supporting goodness. artists uh, can turn bad. All kinds of my head. That sounds like a nightmare. It was the needle it was sterilized. It, um, it was exactly, it there was, was brick dust, it was dirt. <laughs> oh my God. Um, you know, it was one of those things where they have strapped you in. You know, you see those kind of like horror things where, or comedy, comedy horror, where you know, <laughs> someone's strapped onto a, uh, onto a stretcher and they lift it up and then they drop it downstairs, but because the person's all kind of, they can't move. Uh, oh, strapped in so much they can't move. So that's what I was. And it was pouring with rain. And oh I was God. strapped in, couldn't move, couldn't move anywhere. Everybody else was undercover. They'd left me out just facing the rain, just kind of thinking, what am I doing here? It's the middle of the night on like a Tuesday. A wall has fallen on me and I may or may not have tetanus. I really <laughs> don't know right now. Horrendous. What about that? Wow. It's wow. crazy, isn't it? It's um, crazy. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure this guy has gone on to have an amazing career. He's, his name is actually Matt Damon, and um, he exactly. is. There you go. You see, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, it's his, it was, his commitment uh, to his craft that really—that's what sold it. And it's yeah, people more like him. We he, need- was, he was doing uh, a war film about uh, the 
uh, about the Vietnam War, and he said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I will sleep in the hedges." Uh, there's some young actor called David Berry wasn't keen on it, no. but I will do that and sleep I'll, with my horse. And, I'll do the other uh, things other actors well. and that's what exactly. sets, sets him apart. <laughs> this is it. He a just goes around man. giving other actors tetanus and therefore just knocking them off <laughs> one by one by What's a it? process of elimination. You know, if they're all the name dropping, that's something that you've neglected to mention. The, you know, Brad Pitt, we had Philip Seymour Hoffman, and you neglected to mention a young Matt Damon. Can you? Can I, know, I, I'm, I, I'm, I don't know how I, I, I walk past that. Um, I mean, where is he now? I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I think he... I think he, you know, he grows sweet corn um, <laughs> down in some of the southern states. Uh, so I wish him all the all the very no, best. I think um, he just got so committed to a role, whichever one it was. I think it might have been the Born Identity. He's he's gone full incognito. He's uh, become an international spy, and I don't think we'll ever hear of him again. He's just. Yeah, uh, I think that's, it's, that's it's that commitment to craft that it just blows too many lines, and he got lost in it. And that's that's the hazard. Stunning. That's the hazard of getting that is the hazard. Two Two into character, because you could be much like Daniel Day Lewis going to make shoes for years, becoming a a cobbler. Fabulous, exactly. There we go. Just in a tricorn in a red coat. Nothing that could possibly go wrong there. (laughs) (laughs) And that, ladies and gentlemen, is that. That is the end of our first uh, episode. Uh, Now for the first of our listener questions and this first one is from Maureen in Doncaster hello hello Maureen hello Maureen she would like to know this is uh, is one for you David she would like to know David how do you get your hair so shiny that's a good question good question I use um, just so you know Maureen I use half an egg half an egg well that's where you're going wrong Tim it's you have to use the full dozen to get the uh, the shine that I have here Ah, so uh, there you go Maureen full dozen eggs um, make sure they're organic, um, grain-fed. That's how, how I Absolutely. get my hair, just so luscious. And Tim, one for you too. I'm going to have to do that because believe you me, you can't see him, Maureen, um, but it is a fabulous, fabulous head of hair. So thank you for the question, Maureen. Um, I hope you. that has cleared cleared all that up. Thank you for listening to Outcasts. Please remember to rate, subscribe, and leave a review as it all helps. Follow us on our Instagram page at outcast.podcast for all the latest updates. Or you can send us an email at outcastspodcastshow at gmail.com. Every week, we should be selecting a question from one of our listeners to ask our guests. The theme music is composed by Kieran Ledwidge. All views and opinions expressed on the show are our own and have no affiliation with the series of books written by Diana Gabaldon or the Sony Stars television show Outlander. No animals were harmed in the making of this podcast. Although I did have a ham sandwich earlier. See you next time. See you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.